W. Edward Deming said, put a good person in a bad system and the bad system wins, no contest. In the 1950s, Deming had some radical ideas about giving ownership and responsibility for a product's quality to the people who were involved in its creation. Those ideas, uh, one of which was just-in-time manufacturing, ultimately ended up transforming manufacturing around the world. But it was decades before his ideas took hold in the U.S. Ed Catmull explained that in his book, Creativity, Inc. He said, America business leaders, certainty about their existing systems had rendered them unable to see. They'd been on top for a while. Why did they need to change their ways? Well, yeah, here's why. They were comfortable. Just imagine how much money might have been saved if those execs had been willing to get uncomfortable sooner. Today's episode is all about that, why you should want to be uncomfortable. Hey, I'm Amy Barge, your personal growth environment specialist, and my passion is to help you go from living by default, doing without thinking, to living by design, by growing on purpose. Now, if you're wondering, okay, what does that look like really? I'm here to be your tour guide. Because as someone who has survived the three big Ds, death of my parents, a painful divorce, and being downsized from two different jobs, I've discovered some insanely practical tips that have helped to keep the gremlin of fear and doubt from taking up rental space on my mental couch. I don't know the exact words your gremlin may be telling you, but I do know this. You're smarter than you think, and you're more resilient than you know. And you're absolutely in the right place if you're ready to give your mindset muscles a workout and get growing. Welcome to the Growing with Amy podcast. If you've been joining me regularly in the recent weeks, you know I've been sharing about the characteristics of creating a growth environment. And if you've been counting, you know I said there were 10 and I've shared nine so far. Well, today's the day I am wrapping this up with tip number 10 for creating a growth environment. Now, as you've been listening, at some point you may have had thoughts like, oh yeah, this sounds great in theory, but I'm not sure how I could really do this in my life or with my team. Or maybe you thought, I don't really have time to do all this and you know things aren't that bad here anyway. Or maybe you've even thought, well, I would be completely uncomfortable doing what you're suggesting, so no way. Well, if you did, that means you are primed and ready for tip number 10 for creating a growth environment because it's the one that says the zone of comfort is abandoned. Now, I am well aware that a lot of what I suggested that you could do if you want to truly create a growth environment for yourself or those you influence is that it makes you feel uncomfortable. Well, here's the thing. We all love feeling comfortable. I mean, think about it. We have our comfort foods that we gravitate to, even if we know they aren't good for us because we like how we feel when we eat them. I mean, I'm telling you, a warm chocolate chip cookie tops my list every time. We have our comfort routines. You know, it's that don't get between me and my morning coffee ritual or my favorite Tuesday evening TV show. We have our comfort ways 
of relating with other people. You know, we're willing to share this, but not that, with him, but not her. And please tell me that you also have comfort clothes, you know, those ones that you can't wait to slip into after a long day at work. Yeah, I had this one uh, green sweatsuit that I loved, but Sam not so much. And he kind of not so gently suggested that I needed to retire it because uh, while it might be um, easy on my body, it was not easy on his eyes. Anyway, it really was kind of tacky, so I let it go. But not without a little encouragement from him. And what I found is that that's probably true for most people. See, we all need a little nudge from somebody else if we're going to get uncomfortable because we just have those go-to, default, uh, can almost do it in my sleep kind of ways of being and doing. And those have been developed over time and they feel good to us. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with being comfortable some of the time, but there's actually a time when it can be deadly. And that is if we want to grow in some area of our lives. I still remember where we were standing in the hallway when a teacher colleague of mine said, oh, now I can start to live. That was 2001, and she was a few weeks away from retirement. 15 years later, in 2016, a friend of mine had this man who was putting down tile in her bathroom, and she asked him what he liked about his job. And he said to her, oh, I, I hate tiling, but you know I've been doing it for 31 years. And she said, well, what would you like to do? And he said, I don't know. I never thought about it. So why would these two capable, reliable adults be willing to work diligently for decades doing something that they saw as less than optimal? Was it just a financial security thing? Or did they only see themselves as a teacher or you know, the guy who lays tile? Or were they just afraid of the unknown? Or were they unwilling to be uncomfortable. I don't know. Maybe you have your own ideas, but think about it. The teacher said, now I can really live. What is really living? Is it doing only what you want when you want or traveling or sleeping in or just not having to deal with the challenges of you know struggling students or parents who are overbearing or demanding administrators? But then there's the guy who made the comment about laying the tile. What does I never thought about it really mean? Was he just like putting his mind in a groove, like a needle on a record and never lifting the arm every day, the same record? I mean, when you think about it, their polar opposite approaches produce the same results. She continually thought about not doing what she had done for her whole career, and he had never thought about not doing what he had done for his whole career. Both were just marking time. Now, you might be thinking, uh, 
Amy, why are you making such a big deal out of this? People say things like that all the time, kind of offhanded. They probably don't really even mean anything by it. Well, you might be right, but if that's the case, I think that's part of the problem. Most people do that. But what if you really considered the ramifications of saying things without thinking? Or worse, living without thinking? I mean, just doing the same thing because you've gotten comfortable doing the same thing. I read this quote by Helen Keller where she said, people don't like to think. If one thinks, one must reach conclusions. Conclusions are not always pleasant. Yeah, think about that for a minute. I mean, if either the teacher or the Tyler really thought about what they said or how they lived, they would have at least been forced to face one sober conclusion. Their willingness to just endure doing work that they didn't really enjoy resulted in unexplored and unrealized potential. It's kind of like being given a field of 100 acres, but then only sowing seeds in 10. Now, I seriously doubt that either one of them intended to do something for decades that they didn't really like, but unfortunately, they didn't get it that, well, I intend to and I intentionally do are at opposite ends of the scale when it comes to getting something done. So a few years ago, John Maxwell wrote this book called Intentional Living, and in it, he compares the intentional lifestyle and the unintentional lifestyle. So here's part of what he says. Intentional living always has an idea. Unintentional living always has an excuse. Intentional living fixes the situation. Unintentional living fixes the blame. Intentional living makes it happen. Unintentional living wonders what happened. And when I think about that teacher and the Tyler, I would say uh, intentional living says, I will do work that fulfills me and adds value to others because I really want to live this way every day. And unintentional living says, I won't think about why I'm doing what I'm doing that I don't like, and uh, I'll just start living when I retire. Now, before you think I'm being too harsh on these two people, let me quickly add, we all do this to some degree. We don't try something new or move on from a toxic job or relationship or even do the intentional and sometimes hard work to get our health back on track because doing those things makes us feel uncomfortable. And let's face it, we don't like feeling uncomfortable. We don't like to feel like we don't know what we're doing. We don't like to sweat. We don't like to deprive ourselves of what we want to eat. And we don't want to admit when we don't have it all figured out. We'd much rather gravitate towards comfort. I mean, it's just easier and it feels good and safe. Believe me, I put myself right in that same group. After my divorce, even thinking about dating was 
anxiety producing. It made me feel really uncomfortable, kind of like an awkward teenager. I mean, I hadn't been on a date in mm, more than 20 years. My friend Angela, who I had known since high school, had been divorced longer than I had, and she was happily dating David. She said, Amy, you just need to get out there. And I was like, oh, I don't know, really? Like, date? And she goes, no, not a date. Think of it as a practice date where you just spend time with a guy. You know, you don't worry about it. You don't worry about doing it perfectly because you're practicing. I will set you up with my friend John. So she's describing this guy, John, telling me, you know, how old he was and how many kids he had, what he did for a living. She said, and yeah, he's divorced. And my immediate thought was, oh, I don't know. I I don't think I want to date anyone who's divorced. That feels really uncomfortable. And then I remembered, oh, wait a minute. I'm divorced. Yeah, I did not do that date perfectly. At the end of our meal, the waiter asked us, oh, would you like me to put your leftovers in the same doggy bag? I said, no. Oh, I was really smooth. And Angela said, that's okay. You practice." So she tried again with this other guy, Dan. Went to this cute little pizza place that he was tall, dark, and handsome. Yeah, he didn't last. And that's when I realized dating over 40, that was a skill that I hadn't mastered. And it was going to take a lot more practice. Yeah, more than I even wanted to think about. So Angela continued to encourage me. And even when I told her things like, yeah, it didn't work out with Jeff or Brian, or Steve, or Dennis. She said, Amy, I learned to appreciate things about every man I dated, even if it didn't work out. You know, one guy got me interested in running, and another one taught me all about different kinds of coffee. So listen, every guy that doesn't work out just means you're getting closer to the one who will. So many years later, when Sam came along, I told myself, all right, keep practicing, Don't worry about being uncomfortable. Just see what you learn. So when some tuna salad fell out of my sandwich on our first date, it was kind of awkward. But by that point, I was okay with not being perfect. Apparently he was too, because a year later, he married me. Happy dance. Oh my gosh, for so many reasons. But one was I thought, ah, no more practice dates. Well, Less than two years after we got married, I decided to start my coaching, speaking, and training business, and I was really excited. But my first sales conversation, oh my gosh, my heart was pounding, my tongue was sticking to the roof of my mouth, like the whole awkward teenager thing just felt like it was right back again. I was so uncomfortable. And that is when the wisdom of these words finally sunk in. The goal of practice is always to keep our beginner's mind. I realized I should celebrate that awkward feeling of beginning something new because when I do, my view of feeling uncomfortable and needing to practice, it can shift from one that says, oh no, to one that says, this is how I grow. So, Here's a question for you. Where in your life do you know that you want and need to grow and that it's going to take being uncomfortable to actually do it? I mean, when you think about it, 
anyone who ever created or invented something or had an idea that was bigger than themselves or determined to change careers, they had to get uncomfortable. I mean, in those situations, there was no manual. I mean, the Wright brothers, think about them. They didn't have a How to Fly for Dummies book that they could refer to. My guess is when they were figuring that one out, they had more than a few uncomfortable moments. And you might say, okay, well, that was then and this is now and I'm not trying to fly a plane. But I'm going to suggest to you, maybe you are or maybe you should be because anytime a thought comes into your awareness about doing something that feels a little out there, like dating over the age of 40 or starting your own business when you've only worked as an employee or moving to a different state or starting a podcast when you've never done it before, it is completely normal to have an immediate internal response that reminds you of all the reasons why, okay, that won't work, or that can't happen, or you shouldn't do it. It's kind of this built-in protection mode. And unless you're willing to push back and challenge that safety cop in your mind, you will just so easily succumb to what I like to call destination disease. And I mentioned that concept in, I think it was episode five. So if you want to, go back and listen to more about that. But that's what happens when inside your head you hear things like, ah, you're fine where you are. Don't rock the boat. Or that's too risky. You don't have it all figured out. But here's the thing. If you believe or the people on your team or in your organization know that comfort is king, believe me, that's going to put a lid on your creativity and your growth in a quick minute. Okay, so how do you get uncomfortable in a good way that will produce positive results? Well, I actually have a couple of ideas. The first one is this. Implement one tip from what I have shared with you in these first 14 episodes and do it consistently for a month. Now, I'm saying for a month because it's really easy to do something for a day or two. But when consistency over time is involved, that's when it starts to get uncomfortable. But that's also when the growth starts to happen and you're going to begin to see results. It's kind of the difference between, you know, working out really hard at the gym for one day versus working out of the gym every day for a month. Now, if you're struggling right now to remember all those tips that I've given you in the previous episodes, stay tuned because I've got a real treat for you next week that you will not want to miss. But for now, go with my second uh, get out of your comfort zone idea because it can actually help you with this first because it has consistency built in. And that is to go by my book, Seeing Blind Spots, Leadership Lessons from Real Life. You can get it on Amazon or you can get it on my website at amybarge.com forward slash store. Once you get it, read a chapter every day or every week. Now, the reason I'm suggesting to do it this way is because it's not your typical book. It's actually a compilation of 43 short stories. And when I say short, I mean like 
two to three pages, less than a thousand words short. And then each story is followed by two sets of two questions. The first two are really geared toward if you're leading a team. And the other two are about leading yourself. Now, because as you know, if you've listened to me for very long, I'm a firm believer it is a lot harder to lead ourselves than it is to lead other people. Yeah, little sidebar on that. Oh my gosh, I had a real life experience of that during our recent move that was pretty much a train wreck where me leading myself was a major fail. So when I'm brave enough, I'll, I'll share more about that in an upcoming episode. Anyway, back to the book. My idea in writing this was to create something that was a simple way for people who were leading a team to have this handy little tool that could be used to start discussions about topics that matter. Things like awareness, cause and effect, growth, influence, self-leadership. There are actually 11 topics in all, and I have the stories categorized by topic and by months of the year in the index at the back of the book. And that's to make it easy to find something that speaks to what you need right now for yourself or for your team. There's even a place for you to write out your answers to the questions, and they're right there in the book. So one leader I worked with bought the book for everyone on his team, and then he had the team members take turns being responsible for picking out the story that they would read and discuss at their team meetings. And after doing that for a few weeks, he told me that he was really kind of shocked that even his very quiet, introverted team members were talking and and sharing about what they thought about the questions. It was pretty eye-opening. And he said, you know, he was a little nervous and uncomfortable doing it because nothing like that had ever been done before. So here's a little spoiler alert. That story that I shared with you about the teacher and the Tyler, it's in the book. It's one of the stories. And here are two of the four questions from that story. The one for leading a team is this, what unexplored or unrealized potential are we missing? And one for your personal reflection, how often do you sense that you are living without thinking? So if you're wondering how this fits into the whole idea of abandoning your comfort zone, let me ask you this, when was the last time your leader did something like this? Or when was the last time you did something like this for yourself, where you intentionally read something that challenged you with a question to answer, and then you actually sat and thought about it and wrote out your answer to the question? I say that because I know how easy it is to read a question and like squirm a little when I think about what it would take to really answer it, and then just move on and not do it. So if it's been a while or you've never done something like this, you may feel a little uncomfortable. But here's a guarantee I can make you. When you do this, it will create a new level of self-confidence. Because as you sit with the uncomfortable questions that get right to the heart of what it means to hold up the mirror to yourself and to your team, and then you answer those questions, 
you'll be giving yourself a command and following through. And that increases your self-discipline, which in turn raises your level of self-confidence. So it's a win-win. And when you do this, oh my gosh, I would love to hear about it. So contact me through my website at amybarge.com forward slash contact, or just email me at amybarge at onstage7.com. Just last week, I had an email from Fenric with a picture of his raised bed garden that he built. And here's what he said. I took the challenge to send you a note of how I'm growing. On Saturday, I was finishing a raised garden bed at my home. It's something I've always wanted since seeing it at my father-in-law's home. He helped me with the plans and I finished it on my own Saturday. I was listening to your podcast and it was like coaching me through the growth necessary to do something new that was challenging for me. Thanks. Oh my gosh. I loved that so much. One, because Fenric did something that he's always wanted to do. And two, he took the challenge to send me a note about how he's growing. I don't know for sure, but I don't, he may have felt a little bit uncomfortable even sending me that note. I'll be sure to ask him when I interview him as my guest on this podcast very soon. So at the beginning, I mentioned W. Edward Deming and his just-in-time manufacturing radical idea of giving ownership and responsibility for a product's quality to the people who were involved in its creation. So here's the question I want to leave you with today. When it comes to this idea of the value of being willing to abandon your comfort zone. If you were to assume full responsibility for the quality of life you're living, where do you need to get uncomfortable now so that you can look back a year from now and say that embracing that awkward teenager feeling was totally worth it? And if you're willing to share that uncomfortable area with me, I will cheer you on every step of the way. Go order my book on Amazon, Seeing Blind Spots, Leadership Lessons from Real Life. It is a great way to start getting uncomfortable from the comfort of your own home. And hey, leave me a review or share this podcast with someone you know who needs to join you in getting uncomfortable. You can get uncomfortable together which has the potential to make you even more uncomfortable. Okay, bye for now. Here's your great big woohoo for completing another episode of the Growing with Amy podcast. I want to encourage you, let something you heard nudge something you'll do. And until next time, remember, to be going somewhere, you've got to be growing somewhere. Bye for now.